Hello, I'm Laura Earle, and welcome to Trombone Time, the podcast where we talk about trombones, musicals, and everything in between. Today we're talking about the musical TV show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and the realism of the legal aspects of the season 3 finale. There will be spoilers, so turn this off and watch the first three seasons if you haven't seen them yet. Although there are a myriad of legal issues in just the finale of this show, this episode will only be talking about the charges against Rebecca and how she could have avoided prison. Today's episode is brought to you by Music Stand Magic, my sophomore year economics project. Get yourself a Music Stand Magic today! Music Stand Magic our business ain't tragic. Music, 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 stand magic. Before we talk about Rebecca's plea, we need to understand the characters and just what led up to all these events. You need to know Rebecca, Nathaniel, Paula, and Trent. Rebecca is the main character of the show a lawyer with borderline personality disorder. In the months leading up to the alleged crime, Rebecca was left at the altar and attempted suicide before being diagnosed with BPD. Nathaniel is her ex-boyfriend and co-worker, not the one that left her at the altar. Paula is Rebecca's best friend, and Trent is Rebecca's ex-boyfriend, also not the one that left her at the altar, but has a history of stalking and blackmailing her. In this episode, Rebecca is feeling guilty about all the things she has done to hurt people and is continuously hallucinating Trent before running into him in real life. He says some vaguely threatening things in an elevator and later that night sends self-destructing Instagram images to Rebecca containing images of Nathaniel at a party and more vague threats. Upon arriving at Nathaniel's location, Rebecca finds Trent leaning over Nathaniel with a carving knife and she pushes him off of the building. He survives. She is then charged with attempted second-degree murder and plans to plea not guilty on the grounds of insanity until she delivers an impromptu speech to her best friend Paula about taking responsibility and pleads guilty. It is possible that Rebecca could use self-defense to get a not-guilty verdict. The show takes place in West Covina, California, and according to statelaws.finelaw.com, in order for California's castle doctrine to be used to rule a murder as justifiable homicide, the following things must be true. The defendant reasonably believed that he, she, or someone else was in imminent danger of suffering bodily injury or was in imminent danger of being touched unlawfully. The defendant reasonably believed that the immediate use of force was necessary to defend against that danger, and the defendant used no more force than was reasonably necessary to defend against that danger. With all this in mind, it is possible that Rebecca could make the case for self-defense. Trent's messages said, I lost someone I loved. You. Now you feel the same. And Nathaniel Plimpton III must be destroyed with pictures of Nathaniel clearly at his current location. There was also a number of other images and threatening messages, but those were the most specific and most threatening. These on their own would most likely not serve as proper evidence for self-defense, but combined with her clearly witnessing Trent holding a knife above Nathaniel, they could certainly help her case for being a threat of immediate danger. However, 
The self-destructing images were not able to be found. This is likely accurate. I was unable to find Instagram's policies, but Snapchat has image messages that use a similar concept where they disappear after the receiver opens them. And according to the Snapchat help section, with a subpoena or warrant, they will give as much as they can, but the company does not save any sent images. Although some phones save the images in their cache system, it's entirely possible that Rebecca's does not. And even though she probably as a lawyer should have known that she would need those images for evidence, it's tough to save them without the sender knowing and it can get complicated so she has no access to the images. While simply the knife over Nathaniel's head could serve as reason for self-defense, it would be significantly trickier because several witnesses stated he did not appear threatening, stating he was just a caterer holding a carving knife, Rebecca. And Rebecca's history of erratic behavior may cause this to become even more problematic. However, Trent does have a history of stalking and blackmailing Rebecca, so if she could prove either of those things without revealing that the blackmail was that he was going to reveal some of the illegal things she's done in the past or perjuring herself, it could be proof that Trent was in fact likely to cause imminent danger. If the self-defense defense was out of the picture for whatever reason, Rebecca still could have used an insanity plea. She has been institutionalized in the past and has exhibited many signs of mental instability in the months leading up to the alleged attempted homicide. She had been hallucinating Trent for days, and regardless of any real threat of danger, she likely felt it. According to HelpGuide.org, BPD symptoms include explosive anger, feeling suspicious, extreme emotional swings, impulsive behaviors, and unstable relationships. Any of these things could have led her to push Trent off the building, especially considering she had only recently been diagnosed with BPD and her treatment was still in its early stages. Additionally, according to ncbi.nlm.nih.gov, the requirement for an insanity plea is if the person is unable to appreciate the wrongfulness of his conduct at the time of the offense. So, Rebecca's feelings of suspicion or impulsive behaviors could have easily left her in this state. Even while she is a completely functional adult almost all of the time, if in the moment of alleged attempted homicide, she was unable to appreciate the wrongfulness of her conduct because of BPD, insanity would work as a defense. Rebecca's decision to change her plea to guilty at the last moment was a surprising plan. Her random choice means she made no attempt to reach a plea deal. Prosecution could have brought down her charges to aggravated battery in exchange for any number of things. She could have given them information about Trent's previous involvement in a gang, or she could have saved prosecution a lot of time in court. According to LosAngelesCriminalAttorneys.com, she could face five, seven, or nine years in prison for attempted second-degree murder. According to Shouselaw.com, Rebecca could face a misdemeanor in up to one year in jail or a felony charge in up to four years in prison. The charge can be a misdemeanor or a felony depending on severity. If she pled down to aggravated battery, which in California, according to Shouselaw, means one person willfully touches another in a harmful or offensive manner and the person who has been touched su suffers a serious bodily injury as a result. 
She could also argue this as a defense in court instead of as a part of a plea deal by stating that she lacked the specific intent to kill and she instead meant to injure or scare him. However, this would be nearly impossible to prove to a jury. Her possible evidence could be that she had no deadly weapon, but this would likely not help because any mentally sound person should recognize that a fall off of a building will likely be deadly, which once again brings her back to the insanity plea. While the scenes actually in a courtroom are brief, there are a few things that stand out as unlikely. While I can't find much on the legality of dramatic courtroom speeches when a defendant is entering a plea, it seems highly unprecedented and not likely to be allowed, especially if the defendant turns around and starts talking to a member of the gallery. According to southuniversity.edu, almost all courtroom proceedings should be addressed to the judge, so randomly turning to the gallery is likely not permitted. Additionally, Paula's late entrance to the proceedings would be highly frowned upon, if not totally not allowed, according to southernjudicialcircuit.com. So, after careful assessment of the situation, I'm here to share my opinion. I believe Rebecca should have used an insanity plea. While using the castle doctrine as a defense could have worked and gotten her no jail time or mental facility time, the time in a mental facility for an insanity plea would be shorter and less unpleasant than the time in prison that she could have had to spend if her defense plea failed. The insanity plea would be far easier to defend with the evidence they have at hand. I also think that Rebecca's failure to work for a plea deal was rather poorly thought out. It's not out of character to see her making such sporadic decisions, but she's an attorney herself, so she should have known better. While she may wish to take responsibility for her actions, she legally had every right to plead insanity, and some time in a mental facility may very well be taking responsibility in a more productive way. Additionally, the show portrays the insanity plea as a sneaky way to get away with it, but when, in reality, it was a totally legitimate plea for her situation. Based on her previous behavior, it was a valid plea and not just using her mental disorder as an excuse. Thanks for tuning in to Trombone Time. Be sure to comment what you want to talk about next or any questions you have about today's podcast. And tune in next week to figure out which trombone mouthpiece is right for you.